Have you ever experienced joy? Do you think you even know what it is? What joy is? Do you think you know where you can find joy? There are some obvious places that all people look. Some look for it here. Fame. How many of y'all, when you were growing up, wanted to be someone famous? Movie star, musician, maybe still some do. You still got, you still got time? Or a, a famous athlete? I, I thought for sure when I was young I was going to be a movie star. I was just convinced that I was going to be in the movies. And I thought that was going to make me happy. If I could just be in the movies, if I could just be a movie star, I'd be happy. I'd have joy. So fame. Another place people look for joy. Money. Some people are still looking there, right? They think that money truly does bring happiness. And they're pursuing it with all their might. Other places people find joy. Power. If I could just be the one giving the rules and not receiving the rules, then I'll be happy. So there are some obvious places that people look. What we're going to be talking about for the next few months as we go through the book of Philippians is that joy is found in some unlikely places and under some unlikely circumstances. As we study through the book of Philippians, what we're going to find is, is that joy dominates the book. In fact, the word rejoicing and joy appears 16 times in four chapters. Think Paul's trying to tell us something? So if you want to know, or if you've ever wondered where joy is and how joy can be found, Philippians is the book you want to be in. And right here at Fellowship is where you want to be because we're going to be studying through Philippians. Before we begin, I want to do a little background into the book of Philippians. Number one, Paul wrote it. He is the author, and that information comes from the letter itself. This is a prison epistle, which means it was written by Paul while he was in prison at Rome. Now, while he was in prison there, he wasn't as restricted as it was as he was in other places, so he was able to, to uh, meet with uh, other Christian brothers, and he was able to freely teach and, and preach and write, which we're thankful for because you know what other books came while Paul was in prison at Rome? The book of Ephesians, thankful for that one, aren't we? Colossians and Philemon. And it's thought to be that Paul was here uh, under, under, in, in prison at Rome around 60 to 62 A.D., and they thought that Philippians was probably written somewhere in between there, uh, 61 A.D. So, so Paul wrote it. The audience are Christians at Philippi. Now, we've been talking about in our equipping classes, we talked about a little bit last week that, that the Pauline epistles are more specific, they're written to specific audiences, whereas the general epistles had a more general audience. So Paul's writing here specifically to the Christians in Philippi. We're told in the book, it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So it's written to Christians at Philippi. 
The reason for writing the book, there are several reasons Paul wrote this book. One was just to share how thankful he was to the Christians at Philippi. They had just recently sent one of their own to go and to be with Paul while he was in prison, and they sent with him a gift. We think it's a financial gift that they sent with him. And uh, so Paul is writing to, to thank them for their gift, but also just to thank them for their partnership in ministry and to just share his thankfulness with their continued faithfulness. So he's, uh, he's writing there to, to thank the Philippians. You don't have to read too far in the book of Philippians to see that this is an extremely personable, personal book. Paul shared a very intimate and deep relationship with the Philippians, and we'll find that out this morning as we discuss, as we get into chapter 1 of the book. Second reason why Paul writes is to also warn about potential problems. Paul sees some potential problems occurring with, with disunity among the church and also with these false teachers that seem to follow Paul around wherever he went. So he's writing to basically um, you know, warn the Philippians about disunity and the problems that it causes and also about these false teachers who are attempting to disrupt the work of Paul. So with, with, um, with all of these purposes found in the book, it's also important for us to realize that the major theme of the book is joy. Philippians is all about joy, which is the reason why I've entitled this sermon, Joy from the Jailhouse. So that's a little background in the book. Let's get into it. As I said earlier, many today and throughout history have been on this same quest to find joy. And most then, as well as today, have looked in, in just some obvious places to find it. Some people look for joy in times of solitude, all by themselves, away from everybody else. Anybody like this? Man, if I could just get away from all this, all these people, all these things, and get by myself, I'll truly be happy. When, when Leslie and I were in seminary in Memphis, we lived right across the, um, uh, right across the state line in Mississippi, in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And I know that sounds like a small town, but actually at the time, uh, DeSoto County was one of the largest, one of the fastest growing counties in the United States. And you could tell. When you got out on the road, it was just wall-to-wall -wall traffic and it would take you 30 minutes to get anywhere. And when you got there, you'd have to wait in line an additional 20 to 30 minutes to get what you need. I mean, you hardly ever went to Walmart. You, you had to really be wanting to go to Walmart. You didn't go there to just stop in for a gallon of milk. The same people didn't, because it would it'd drive you crazy. And, and I remember her and I, we, we would often talk about the fact that Olive Branch would be such a great place to live if it were not for what? What do you think? All the people. Yeah. How many of y'all have ever felt this way? Been on a family vacation, gone to Disney World, or maybe you've just gone to Six Flags, and you thought, this would be a lot of fun were it not for what? All these people. I remember a good day at Six Flags in the summertime was if it was not too hot and not too crowded. 
How many of y'all have ever felt like this in your, in your job? Maybe you have difficult customers you have to deal with, difficult co-workers, doctors and nurses. Maybe you have difficult patients. And you've thought to yourself, my job would be easier were it not for all these difficult people. I think at, at one time or another, we've all felt like Eddie Arnold. Y'all know Eddie Arnold? Remember his famous song? Make the world what? Go away. We've all just wanted to kind of shut the door on the world, haven't we? Just get me away from all these people. Get me away from the world. Make the world go away so we can be happy. But what we're going to find this morning is although we think that joy is found being away from others, what Paul teaches in Philippians is that true joy comes from others. True joy comes from others. So this morning we're going to talk about how to experience joy through others. How to experience joy through others. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 11. First way to experience joy through others is by being a team player. Be a team player. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul begins his letter by saying grace and peace to you. Now this was a standard greeting that Paul often used when he was writing to believers and basically it just meant you know, may God's grace be with you, or may all things be well with you. Now, here's the ironic thing. Paul is sitting in prison, uncertain about whether or not he's going to live or die. And he is writing to them and saying, may all things be well with you. May God's grace be with you. This would be like us going to visit someone in the hospital on their deathbed and them tell us, hey, I hope all things are well with you. I'm praying for you. We would think, praying for me? I mean, you're the one in the bad way. We need to be praying for you. But Paul, even though he was in prison, uncertain whether or not he was going to live or die, he writes to wish them well. The first thing to enter Paul's mind was the welfare of others. If anyone had a reason to be self-involved and to sulk, it was Paul, right? Uncertain about whether or not he was going to live the next day through. And the first thing to enter his mind was the welfare of others. This was Paul's mentality throughout his ministry. In fact, he was in prison for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others in ministry. And the reason why Paul could have this kind of mentality is because Paul saw himself for what he truly was. He saw himself as just a part, just a, a piece of the overall big picture. Paul understood that what God was doing was much, much, much bigger than himself. And the only thing that concerns Paul is not his own life, but for God's people 
to continue to be faithful and to avoid falsehood so that the gospel will advance. That's Paul's concern. Think about this. Paul had been sidelined for one or two years, for a few years in prison. And he's writing to express how joyful he is. Even though he hadn't been out there with them, he's writing to, to tell them how joyful he is that the gospel is advancing and that the Philippian Christians were continuing to be faithful to do what God has called them to do. How many of y'all have ever been to like a, a football game and you've noticed on the sidelines there's always someone in their street clothes, right? Because of an injury or something like that. When you, have you ever noticed what they're doing on the sidelines? Maybe it's just me. Maybe you're like, I'm watching the game. What are you talking about? Are they sitting over by themselves, kind of sulking, you know? Man, I don't even care what's going on on the field. I'm just, I just want to be out there doing my own thing. No, for the most part, what are they doing? They're, they're cheering on their team, aren't they? They're rooting on their team. They're, they're cheering their team to victory because they know that what's going on is bigger than themselves. This is Paul. Paul had been sidelined, but he knew the work being done in ministry was much bigger than himself. And he's writing here to encourage his teammates, continue to live faithfully, continue to avoid falsehood for the furtherance of the faith. Is this your mentality? Are you a team player? Are you concerned with God's work in the world outside of your own accomplishments, outside of the things you're doing? Are you concerned with what your brothers and sisters in Christ in here are doing for God? Are you just as excited about the accomplishment of others just in here as you are about your own accomplishments? This is a tough mentality, isn't it? But it's Paul's mentality. I want you to understand something. It's your growth and godliness and your accomplishments are important. God uses you to accomplish his purposes. But the work being done is much bigger than yourself. We need to be rejoicing in the, in the work of others as well as our own accomplishments. We need to be team players. This is Paul's mentality. This should be our mentality. So be a team player. Second, way to experience joy through others. Paul shows us is to, to see our need of others. See your need of others. Second way to experience joy, see your need of others. Verse 3 through 5 first. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is sharing here that his joy comes as a result of the Philippians' faithfulness and their continued partnership. Basically, he says, the reason why I can experience joy here in this jail cell because of you guys. In fact, he says, every time you guys come to mind, I praise God. And I pray for you continually. You see, the Philippians were, were a great help to Paul. 
in ministry. They had been an excellent partner to Paul. We're told in Scripture during Paul's second missionary journey that he receives money from the Philippians at least twice, once in Thessalonica and once in Corinth. On Paul's third missionary journey, he's raising money for the Jerusalem church, and he went to visit Philippi, and we're told that uh, he said, you know, you don't have to give money because you've already given enough, and I know you don't have a lot to give, but they insisted on giving anyways. So once again, they give money to the ministry. Paul then takes that money, and he goes to Jerusalem, and shortly after that, he is arrested, and he's sent to Rome. And when word comes back to the Philippians that Paul's in Rome, what do they do? They send one of their own to go be with Paul and to go support him, and they send another gift by way of this person to Paul. Now, these are the instances where, where these are the times we're told of in Scripture where the Philippians supported Paul, but you have to think there's more than just that. In fact, Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Day after day after day, the Philippians were partnering with Paul in ministry. We don't oftentimes think of Paul in this way, do we? We don't oftentimes think of, of Paul as, as being in need, do we? I, I think a lot of times we think of Paul as kind of like this super spiritual superhero who's kind of off on his own, just kind of fighting battles by himself in need of nothing or no, no one. But nothing could be further from the truth. Paul had some great help in ministry, great partners in ministry, and the Philippians were one of those, the Christians at Philippi were one of those groups of people who partnered with Paul and complimented his ministry. So Paul needed the Philippians, but you know what? The Philippians also needed Paul, didn't they? Paul played a key role in the gospel going to Philippi in the first place. Now, I know it's by God's grace that the gospel came there, but God used Paul, his appointed person, to take the gospel to the Philippians. So he played a key role there, but we also understand from this, from this writing here is that Paul did not just leave them, he did not share the gospel and just leave them alone. He continued to pour his life into the Christians at Philippi. He continued to encourage them. He continued to challenge them. He continued to warn them about potential dangers. In verse 6, Paul gives a great word of encouragement to the Philippians. He says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Wow, what a great word of encouragement. Paul encourages the Philippians. No matter what you go through, and you're about to go through a lot, but no matter what you go through, no matter the inward struggles you have, no matter the spiritual defeats, he assures them God is going to finish what he started in you. God starts what he finished. I mean, God finishes what he starts, doesn't he? He informs them, your fabulous beginning and your faithful continuance will end with God's finishing touches. Wow. What a great word of encouragement that Paul gives to the Philippians. The Philippians needed Paul, didn't they? And Paul needed the Philippians. And listen, believers, we as Christians need one another, don't we? Don't we need one another? I, I, I think too often we think of our spiritual life as being this. It's me and God. It's all that matters. This, 
not really necessary, but this, me and God, that's the only thing that's important. It's not what it tells us in Scripture, is it? We need God's appointed people. This was necessary for your salvation, and it's necessary for your growth and godliness. Think about that. The reason why you came to Christ is because someone came to you. Maybe not individually, one-on-one, but in some way, someone came to you. Through a book or through a sermon, some way, you came to Christ because of God's appointed people. When I think of, I'm thinking sports here, but when I think of an, uh, a particular position in football, that uh, where, where it's just, I know not all of them are this way, but a lot of them, or uh, not lacking in self-confidence. I think of a wide receiver football, especially in the pros. You ever watch a wide receiver in football? Anybody? Sometimes they'll make a catch in the end zone. They'll kind of point to themselves, you know. Yeah, look at me. Look what I just did. And I'm, also, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you did that by yourself? What about the coach who called the perfect play? What about the the defense who was caught sleeping? What about the offensive line that laid the perfect blocks, giving the quarterback just enough time to make the perfect throw? But he's standing in the end zone as if, pointing to himself as if he's the only one responsible for where he is. I love the story of Emmett Smith. Sorry, John Morris. A lot of of Cowboys references you're going to get. I love the story of of Emmett Smith. After winning his first rushing title in 1991, he bought his entire offensive lineman Rolex watches for Christmas because he knew without them, there'd be no rushing title. How many of you have come to Christ apart from the faithfulness of God's people? How many of you have gotten to where you are spiritually today apart from God's appointed people. I think if we were able to look behind the scenes and you coming to Christ, kind of look at each and every one of you, you know what I think we'd find? I think we'd find a faithful believer who invested in your life. I think we might find a committed pastor or loving friend or family member who faithfully shared Christ with you. I think we would find prayer warriors lifting you up in prayer day after day after day, praying for you to come to Christ. Know that apart from God's grace and apart from His appointed people, you would be without eternal life. But also know that apart from God's grace and His appointed people, you would not be where you are spiritually. And you cannot get to where you need to go spiritually without God's appointed people. Some of the most off-base, and I've met some, uh, believers, or, or I don't know if they're believers or not, just off-base people, when it comes to uh, Christianity, have been those kind of off on their own, thinking they're in, they don't have a need for anyone or anything. I met a guy who used to come out of the woodworks when I lived in, in Fayetteville at University of Arkansas. His name was Moses. I don't, know if that was, I don't think that was his real name. may have been. But uh, he was a strange bird, and, you know, he'd come and 
preach just kind of this nonsense, you know, he'd just kind of preach this and then just kind of disappear. I don't know where he went. But I talked to him one day. He, uh, he actually claimed to have not sinned in like 15 years, I think. Said he said he'd been without sin the past 15 years. And uh, just, a, just a strange guy. Just off base, but doesn't think he needs God's people at all or anything like that. And I, I'm thinking back on that. I'm like, what this guy needs more than anything is get into a Bible-believing church and get straightened out spiritually. Maybe not the one I'm in, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'd welcome him with open arms. But we need one another, don't we? Proverbs 27:17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. This just means we should not shy away from one another, but understand that being around like-minded people is for our benefit. I want to encourage you this morning to avoid having this Lone Ranger view of the Christian faith that, that, that says that you can be made complete in Christ apart from God's people. We were meant to live in community with one another. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The, the church is the very means by which we mature in Christ. You need God's people. We need one another. Third, way to experience joy through others. Develop meaningful relationships. Develop meaningful relationships. You want to you experience joy through others? Develop meaningful relationships. Verse 7 and 8, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Wow. Paul's love for the Philippians is obvious in this passage, isn't it? He basically says, there's no other way for me to think about you guys than the way I think about you. Now, Paul had a love for all those he ministered to, but like we said earlier, his relationship with, with the Philippian Christians was, was special. It was a deep, meaningful, God-honoring relationship. And you'll find in this letter, it's... it's it's more informal and more, more personal than most that Paul wrote. And you know what? The feelings are mutual. Philippians felt the same way about Paul, didn't they? He says, You are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So you not only see Paul's strong feelings toward the Philippians, but you see their strong feelings toward Paul because of their constant and generous support of him in ministry. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all have friends that you see, you know, maybe it's every day or once a week, and it's just kind of that surface kind of, you know, relationship? How you doing? How are the wife and kids? How about this weather we're having? You know, it's just kind of a, just kind of a surface level relationship. How many of y'all have that? Maybe some of y'all have that here at the church. You're like, oh, yeah, there's that guy I talk about the, the weather with every day, every week. But, but we have those kind of relationships, right? We all have those. But let me ask you this. How many deep and meaningful and God-honoring relationships do you have? 
Relationships like Paul had with the Philippians. Relationships where you can ask the question of, what's God doing in your life? How's your relationship with him? Instead of saying, hey, let's go and get coffee sometime together, you have that kind of relationship where you can say, hey, let's get together, let's serve God together. Let's lead a Bible study together. Let's get together and, and hold each other accountable. Let's challenge one another to live more for God. How many God-honoring relationships do you have? Paul had this with the Philippians, didn't he? Listen to this again, how strong his affections are for them. He said, for God is my witness. He calls God to witness that he greatly longs for them with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, my, effect, my yearning for you, my affection for you is on par with that of Christ. Wow. That's challenging, isn't it? When I first came to Christ, I was in college, and I longed for those kind of relationships. I didn't have that. So I got plugged in in a college ministry, and I began meeting with a group of guys once a week. We met at like 6 in the morning on campus. And for the first time in my life, I was around people who were concerned with my spiritual well-being. We'd get together, and they were like, man, what's God doing in your life? How's your walk with God? What are you struggling with? Man, it was, it was just incredible to be around a group of guys that were concerned for how I was living for God. And I can't tell you how much, that, how much joy that gave me and how that paid great dividends for me spiritually. And you know what? I know those types of relationships have been made here at this church, and I praise God for that. But I pray that these continue to be made, these kind of relationships. I pray that each and every one of you in here develop relationships like this in the church. Now, I'm realistic. I know that you're not going to do that with everybody. But I pray that you have one or two people where you can, that, that you have this kind of relationship with, with one or two people in our church. And I'll promise you this. You won't regret developing these kind of relationships. They can do nothing but benefit you spiritually. So develop meaningful relationships. Fourth and finally, the how to experience joy through others. Encourage one another in godliness. Encourage one another in godliness. Let's read verses 9 through 11. Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Fill with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here Paul prays in verses 9 through 11 for the Christians at Philippi to be growing in love and complete in character. As we've talked about already, Paul's relationship with the Philippians is strong, right? He said earlier that his affections for them was on par with Christ, right? And because this is the case, because this is true, Paul was not okay 
with status quo Christianity out of that of the Philippians. He was not okay with them just being status quo in their Christian life. He says here that he prays that their love for God be overflowing. Paul prays that the Philippians would have this increasing love for God and an unconditional love for others that stems from an accurate knowledge of God's Word. Paul also prays that their knowledge and their discernment would result in them living as faithfully and as fully for God as possible. Notice Paul didn't simply pray, man, I hope you're loving and I hope you do the right thing. Does he? He prays for their love to be overflowing and he prays that they will live at the highest level of spiritual devotion and obedience. Paul doesn't pray that their church grows numerically. He doesn't pray that they meet monthly budgets. He prays that they grow to live on another plane, another level, spiritually. And that's my prayer for you. And you know what? I pray, I hope that you're praying that for one another. You want to be a true friend? You want to have a a God-honoring, meaningful relationship with one another? Challenge one another to grow spiritually. Challenge one another. Pray for one another to live on another plane, another level spiritually. Don't be okay with status quo Christianity. Encourage one another in godliness. And you know what will happen when we do this? The more loving we become and the more fully and faithfully we follow God, you know what's going to happen? The more healthy we're going to be as a church. This is the answer for our church. This is the answer for every church. It's for God's people, for these uh, these God-honoring relationships to develop and for us to encourage one another in godliness and pray for one another to live as faithfully and as fully for God as possible. And when that happens, everything else is going to fall in line for us as a church. I guarantee it. That's the answer for us. That's the answer for every church. So although we think that joy is often found away from the crowds and by ourselves, Paul shows that the opposite is true, doesn't he? He shows us that joy is found in a loving, caring, and supportive Christian community. Now, we've been talking for most of the morning about the importance of human relationships, but when discovering joy in life, and while this is important, there's another relationship that precedes and supersedes all others, and that's a relationship with God. God created us for the purpose of having a relationship with Him. But there's a problem. Because of our sin, that relationship has been broken. But the good news is, God is a redeeming God, isn't He? He came to us. He sent Christ. Because He loved us so much, Even though we are sinners, Scripture says 
God sent Christ to live the perfect life that we could never live and die as our substitute and perfect sacrifice so that if you trust in Him alone for your salvation, that relationship can be restored. And then joy, true joy, can begin. If you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation, I pray that you do this morning. I pray this morning that that today be the day when you get things right, when you have that relationship with God restored. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of joy that stems from a relationship with you. Father, forgive us for neglecting to see our need of your appointed people for our spiritual benefit. God, I pray that that you would help us to pursue deep, meaningful, and God-honoring relationships like Paul enjoyed with the Christians at Philippi. Forgive us, Father, when we settle for status quo Christianity in our lives and in the lives of your people. God, create in us a desire to pray for and encourage one another in godliness. May we challenge one another. May we push one another to live as fully and as faithfully for you as possible. And may you be glorified in that. Father, if there's anyone here that does not know you, does not have a relationship with you through Christ, I pray that today be the day when they get things right with you. Today be the day that they turn from their sins and they turn from a life going at life on their own and they make Christ the Lord of their life. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.